staying behind, Luke chapter 6 is where we're going to end up sometime this morning. Luke chapter 6. What I'm doing is trying to go through uh, uh, the book of Luke, looking at it through the eyes or through the, uh, the lens of this whole idea of Jesus coming into this world. I mean, let's just... I'm going to be like a broken record. I've said this a lot of times, which means I am a broken record. Um, Talking about the promised land and talking about Egypt, because I'm trying to give us a metaphor to understand life. And my intent, or I think my mandate from the Lord, is to make that so deeply rooted in us that we just intuitively see it. I mean, what was the point of Jesus coming into the world? God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross. But before to die on a cross, he spent three years speaking, gathering disciples. If he was just concerned about dealing with your sin, then I guess he could have been born in Bethlehem and there were lots of babies that were killed in Bethlehem. And he could have been killed in Bethlehem as as a sacrifice. And then he would have been a sacrifice for all human beings because he would have been perfect. And God could have said, I have laid, you know, a son has been, my son has laid down his life. Now, first of all, he wasn't killed as a baby because he needed to actually voluntarily do that as an act of his will. So he grew up. But God's, the Father spent three years speaking through him into the world because it seems that he had more to do than just forgive sins. And one of the things I'm trying to speak into is that much of our Christian heritage and much of our Christianity often stays fixated on the cross, which is God loves me, God forgives me, I'm a miserable sinner. God loves me, uh, I'm a miserable sinner. God loves me, I'm a miserable sinner, which is about as exciting as spending your life in the washroom. I'm getting dirty, I need to be clean. I'm getting dirty, I need to be clean. I need to have a shower, I'm dirty. I've been... You remember that guy, Tiny Tim, I think it was? There was somebody saying, tiptoe through the tulips. He had a fixation with being clean. And he could, you know, it, it was sad. You call it paranoia if every time you, you, know, you, you breathe, you've got to go and brush your teeth. Or every time you, you, know, you live for five minutes, you've got to go and have a shower and get clean again. Some of us spiritually, that's what it's like. And Jesus came to say, relax. I love you. You know who got into the promised land? People like you and me. They were imperfect. They weren't perfect. They were believing a covenant that caused them to say, God said, therefore we're going to go. So he loves us in our imperfections. And he said, through the process of taking the land, I will actually make you whole. We spoke a few uh, months ago about passivity. Passivity is about saying, Lord, please help me, please help me, please help me. How's it going? Well, I'm waiting for the Lord to help me. And that's your life. Guilt and please help me. Lord, please help me, please help me, please help me. So what do some people do? They go to churches where they don't have to actually talk about anything specific. You just go listen to a sermon, go home again and say, I went to church, God's pleased with me. That's called religion... That's called totally ineffective. That's called hypocrisy. It's called everything you actually don't like. Because nothing will change. Somebody said you can put a cookie, a stone in a cookie jar. It doesn't make it a cookie. 
put a human being in a service on Sunday morning doesn't make any difference other than maybe a born-again hypocrite. I don't know. But it's about doing something with what Jesus... Jesus went to the cross and He rose again and He released His Spirit for a reason. He said, so that I can help you live and be changed from the inside out as we started off this morning. That's the good news. Wake the person up next to you. That was good news. God is here to help you. He already agrees with you that you're not good enough. How about that? So it's no longer an excuse. Oh Lord, I'm not good enough. He says, tell me something new. I'm not good enough. I'm full of sin. Tell me something new. What do you think my son went to the cross for? That's as ridiculous as standing as the washroom saying, I'm filthy. And, I, and somebody says, why don't you have a shower? It's right there. Oh. You know what the big problem is then? What do I do when I'm clean? I'm so used to being miserable about being dirty and guilty about being dirty. And somebody says, have a shower. And now I'm clean. I go, now what? Says, there's life outside the washroom, honey. What? What? I'm scared. I've always been in the washroom. My parents have been in the washroom. My grandparents have been in the washroom. We've all been in the washroom. I know where this is coming from, by the way. It's not in my notes, but anyway. You know, washroom Christianity, it's called Egypt. It's called slavery. It's called fear. It's called narrow. It's called victim. It's called prisoner. It's why people don't want to come to church. They'd rather go camping. There's nothing wrong with camping. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't camp. Why would you want to go to the washroom? It's quite funny, actually, isn't it? So Jesus comes into Egypt because Egypt and the Promised Land are in the same place. We are living right now in Egypt, and the Promised Land is right here. It's like Paul on ch- with ch- you know chains to the Roman soldier. The Roman soldier, who's got sold Paul today? I have. Three weeks later, who's got Paul? I want him, please. Why? Because he's got some stuff there that I want. So I've heard this before, so it's not new, but it's this thing of being chained to Paul. Punishment or a gift. And Paul turns around, and I'm sure he must have had a sense of humor sometime. He's quite an earnest guy. But I think he might have laughed occasionally. And he might have laughed at this moment and said, it sucks to be you, doesn't it? You're chained to me. And you're under orders of your life. You can't let me go. So I'm going to talk to you for four hours. I'll tell you about Jesus. And because he was quite educated, he knew all the stuff he could talk about. And so he said that basically the news of Jesus had spread throughout the Roman God. And God used something that was negative and oppressive to actually bring conversion into that place. Through one man who said, I'm not going to see myself as a victim here. If God wants me to die here, I'll die here, but I'll die assured of who He is. And so out of that place, He wrote the letters that became the New Testament. And He has that for you and for me. Egypt would be, Oh God, please, you don't know, I'm hungry and I'm dirty and I'm chained and I don't deserve this. I did that for five years. I, I know I've got a long, eloquent speech on this one. Victim, suffering, it's not fair. I know nobody else relates. I'm just being vulnerable. Um, and Paul instead goes, I'm free whether I've learned to be content in all circumstances. So chain me up or let me go. I'm fine. Why? Because God is faithful. My relationship with Jesus is not related to my circumstances whatsoever. And I'm not terrified of you, whether you're Pilate, whether you're Caesar. 
Pilate said to Jesus, don't you know I have the power over you? And he says, you have no power. Jesus said to him, you remember that? Looked him in the eye and said, you have no power. Pilate says, do you, you, you call yourself a king? And he said, you said I am. You have no power other than that is given to you by God. And before you, with Pilate and Jesus, where Jesus is about to be crucified, you have Egypt and the promised land. One man's living under the authority of Egypt. One man's living under the authority of the King of Kings. The one man looks like he's free. The other one looks like he's in a prison. But the one who looks like he's in a prison, who looks like he's on the cross, he is on the cross, is about to be the biggest breakout in history. It's all about your reality on the inside. What you believe is what you will see. We've talked about that before. In Egypt, seeing is believing. In the kingdom, believing leads to seeing. Why do I repeat this again and again? Because I need to repeat it. I am so deeply entrenched in Egypt that I, re- I, re- I, I, I speak about Christianity in Egypt language. Jesus was so revolutionary He wasn't coming to help us survive in Egypt. Now, if you're trying to survive in Egypt, what you're trying to do is say, I'm just longing, you know, when I die, I'm going to be in heaven, then I'll be happy. And Jesus came and said, why would you do that? Why don't you be happy now? Well, look at everything. He said, that's Egypt. I can set you free in the midst of it. How many of us are waiting for changes of circumstances until we're happy? Change my bank balance, change my spouse, change this, change that, and it'll be happy. And God says, oh my word, please. Let's start with that, shall we? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like all of us. There's something that we're saying, please change, you know, make me five feet taller, make me thinner, make me... Whatever it is. If you want to see transformation, let the love of God touch you where you are right now. And he says, I'm here for you. Well, I don't feel it. So what? That is the evidence of my love for you. It's got nothing to do with your feelings. In history, in time, I laid down my life for you. And I did that so you could live in the promised land. And living in the promised land is living as a son and daughter of the King of Kings. You are, if you've said yes to Jesus, a son and daughter of the King. I don't feel it. Well, look up and start getting it. And if you can't get it, come and see John or go and see Dave and say, I don't feel like a prince. Or princess. And I'll say, you probably don't look like one either, but we can call it out of you if you want, and it'll come in for five minutes. Because God's identity is a gift to you. Did you ask to be born? Who asked to be born? Anybody asked to be born? I don't know where. This is not enough. This is in my notes. This is terrible. How many asked to be born? Nobody here asked to be born. Shoot, that's depressing. Whatever happened to rights? Who asked to be a man or a woman? I would have preferred to be a woman, I think. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. (laughs) That would have been too much. It's bad enough being a man. (laughs) Thank you, Megan, I heard that. So you didn't ask to be born, you didn't ask to be a male or female. How many of you asked to be where you were, wherever you were born, whether it's in Canada or somewhere else in the world? You didn't ask that either. And now I've lost why I started all of this. I haven't got a clue why I, where I was going with that. Oh, I know where I was going. You didn't ask 
It was part of what happened. And God's love for you is like that. He says, I didn't ask your permission to love you. I just do. Because I just lent you parents and some of it worked out and some of it didn't. And I'm really, really mortified. And I mean this seriously. When your parents and your prime family didn't work out, when your father abused you, your mother abused you, your parents split up and they left you, I was mortified because my plan was for every human being to be born into a family that was secure from the beginning of birth until death. And that parents would nurture children and children would be nurtured by parents and grandparents and they would together know who I am and children would know the Spirit of God upon them very early on. But it's all been ravaged so I've got to restore it. I've got to come on a rescue mission and say you've forgotten You've lost touch of what was meant to be. And the way that you know you've lost touch is there's something in you that cries out. There's something in you while you're living slaved in Egypt that echoes and resonates for something else. And I am that something else. Every pain or everything that you feel that is not fulfilled is a clue to a God who says, you have that because incompleteness leads you to me. But Egypt says, no, 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 no. More money, more sex, more relationships, more adventure, more holidays. That's what will give you fulfillment. And the Christians in Egypt go, you know what? I can touch and feel that. It sounds like a good idea. And so half, no, maybe 90% of those who follow Jesus are Egyptian Christians. How do I live in the promise? How do I live in slavery with the hope of finding freedom when I die and go to heaven. And so in the West, the church is dying because that's a pretty depressing message. Pie in the sky when you die is the rude term. People who, I believe in Jesus, but my lifestyle is totally the same. My attitude is totally the same. I just become actually religiously hard. So now I just condemn everybody. And I judge everyone. And, and so I portray, because, you know, the hallmark of abused children is the hallmark of abused children is that you actually blame other people. And so you just go, um, I don't like you, I don't like you, I don't like you. And so Jesus comes to us and says, I love you. Let me transform you from the inside out. It's good news. And so Jesus, when he prayed, he said, your kingdom come on earth as in heaven, was saying, I want to draw together disciples who actually live as I lived on earth. So the more aware we become of these possibilities, the more likely we are to enter into them. Do you agree? I mean, the more you become aware of these things, the more we can talk about it repetitively, the more we can actually have hope for a future because you actually start going, you know what? That does, it resonates with me. It resonates with me. I have this conflict in me. Paul talked about it. He said, the good that I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I do. That's living in those two worlds. But when you realize that instead of saying you're a hypocrite, it's just you're cluing in to those two realities, you're actually seeing growth. Do you understand the closer you come to God, the more you'll see these two realities. 
So the more you'll actually feel like a hypocrite until you realize you're saved by grace and you're growing into something that you're not yet. So you don't actually go under condemnation. You just go, I need more work. And you learn to relax with the process and just say, more Lord. Does that make sense to you? Not? Anybody home? So when Jesus came to this earth, what did he do? He said, I only speak and say and do what my Father does. So you drive over here like I do every day and you come through Whiskey Creek and they're doing this roadworks, right? You have flag people there. What do they have? They have a thing on their lapel here and they're always talking into it. That's very important. But they're obviously communicating with each other about, you know, here comes the last car or whatever. Whatever you say as a flag person. And Jesus, in a sense, had a head on his lapel. Dad, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Now, he wasn't a robot, but it was just like the Father saying um, this and that and the other. And, you, and Jesus said, if you want to know what God the Father looks like, just check me out. Then he said, as I, sent, as I was sent, so I send you. So guess what? He's saying to the rest of the world, if you want to know what I'm like... Just check these guys out. So here's looking at you. You are a visual testimony. If you call yourself a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a testimony to other people. They look at your life and say, Hey, what do I see of God? What, what can I tell about God from looking at you and hanging out with you? Think about that. What would people know about God by looking at you, hanging out with you? Some of you probably say, not bad, actually. They think it's very nice. Maybe. So we go into Luke. So let's, you know, taking that, taking all of that, go into Luke. When Jesus is on the Sabbath, and in verse 1, the Sabbath, Jesus was, because what I want to show you quickly, and I realize time goes by, um, is you see this contrast continually playing out with Jesus and his ministry. And why I'm doing this and why I'm belaboring it and why every week I'm saying the same thing for the first ten minutes is because I really believe we are so deeply into this thing of give me a little truth so I can think about it in my head, but there's no transformation. And it's about transformation. And, and I believe transformation comes by both encountering God in my heart as well as beginning to understand how things work and why they might work, just at least a little bit. So the Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain, the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing this? What is unlawful on the Sabbath? So this is what the big deal is. They've had religion for 400 years. These guys are going through a cornfield and they're picking up grains of thing and rubbing in their hands and eating them. You know, They didn't have nuts, so they did that. And the Pharisees are the religious people. I mean, they must have been really fun to hang around. You know, they go, it's the Sabbath, you, you're working. They had distilled God down into this behavioral thing that was incredibly detailed, totally paranoid. What's the picture the Pharisees give of God? You watch it, because everything you do is probably going to get you into trouble. Now, Jesus didn't say relax, but he walked through that grain field and he said, chill out. 
God is Lord of the Sabbath. You don't have to, it's not about you pleasing Him. He just said, you need some time of rest. And they go, what do you mean? And what Jesus is preparing for is saying, do you understand that your whole entrance and relationship with God the Father is going to be based on what I do on the cross? There is nothing you're going to be able to do that's going to make you worthy. I, ha- I will do it all. But he hadn't got there yet. They wouldn't have understood him, so he just modeled it. He just modeled freedom. And he just said, it's not about rules and regulations. Those will come, but in a much nicer way. It's about relaxing. Walk through this thing, take, feel free. Eat. And the Pharisees couldn't handle it. They were very, very distraught. And, and have you discovered something yet? Have you discovered that if you hang out with Jesus, he might offend you? I mean, when was the last time Jesus offended your mindset or your behaviors? You see, if you hang out with Jesus, he will. But if you are a Pharisee in the nicest possible way, which means you determine what you do, how you do it, when you do it, and with whom you do it, and that's translated saying, I don't need to go to church, I just worship God in my own way. If you hang out with the real Jesus, he will offend you. Why? Because he's God and you're not. And not everything you do is in line with him. So guess somebody's going to have to move. And it's not him. And the sweet way we do this is if we don't like something, we just blame each other so we can get out of it. So you offended me. That's why David piped up and said, you know, one of the ways God works is through one another. God is speaking through one another much more than we realize. Isn't that good news? Another Sabbath, Jesus was in the, in the synagogue and he was talking and teaching and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus because that's what we do. When we don't want God to work in our lives and we don't want to get too close to God, we just look at everything critically. And, and we spend all our time focusing on what we don't like and who gets offended and what they wore and why they said, you didn't say it wrong, right and you, and you looked at me wrongly and, and I don't like the music. And I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And you just go, you know what? I think you might have an issue. If all you filter is negative, get rid of your filter. Get another one. And so Jesus knew what they were thinking and he said to the man with a shriveled hand, he saw a man with a shriveled hand and he was sitting down. And when you're sitting down in the synagogue, it means you, don't, you can't participate. And he was sitting with a shriveled hand. And the Pharisees had been talking, and I wonder how long he had been there. He might have been there 10 years, 20 years, who knows? Because we don't see men with shriveled hands. There's actually a curse on deformity in Leviticus, apparently. And Jesus is having this discussion, and he notices him. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Son, there's a guy there with a withered hand. What about the argument with the Pharisees? Oh, goodness, we'll never win that. Let's just demonstrate our love. Let's demonstrate what it's like to live in the kingdom. Because if we have to wait to persuade these guys, we'll never, he, he will never be healed. 
they will never get a theology that will actually allow us to love him. Okay. So the kingdom breaks open. And Jesus, filled with compassion, says to the man, stand up. You read these things and you start saying, but, but isn't that embarrassing? It all depends where it's going to end up. Sometimes it is a little awkward. A man stood up in front of everybody and Jesus used him as a visual aid, but he didn't do it because of that. He just said, is it better to heal on the Sabbath? And they were, they were totally into the rules. So they said, no, God doesn't heal on the Sabbath. In their agenda, actually, he doesn't heal, period. You come in sick and you leave sick. You come in sick and you leave sick. You come in sick and you leave sick. That's Egyptian religion. You come in a slave, you leave as a slave. You come in as a slave, you leave as a slave. Nothing changes. You're just teased with a picture of what will be when you die. And Jesus says to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretches out his withered hand. And for the first time maybe in his life, he's got two hands. How cool is that? And Jesus says, this is just what we do in the kingdom. Because where my servants go, people are set free. Think that man was impacted? Do you think? Do you think he was impacted? A hand that had been withered, probably from birth, deformed, probably called funny names, stretches out. And God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit say, cool. That's us. That's what we do. Because we love the children that live on this earth. And they've been captured by an enemy who doesn't. And he's using them. And he's abusing them. And we've come into this world to set them free. And when that man with a withered hand is set free, you know what he's going to do? He's going to say, praise you, God. Praise you, God. You won't have to teach him to worship. You won't have to teach him to be emotional. You won't have to teach him to be uninhibited. Because he's already been the center of attention all his life in a negative way. How much more when I'm free? And the people say, isn't that the guy with the withered hands? They say, yeah, that was, that was Billy and look at him now. What happened? The rabbi, Jesus healed him. Oh, I want to know that. You won't have to go to classes in evangelism. You'll just talk about what God did. That's what it's meant to be. It's meant to be as much fun as saying, have you got tickets for the Canucks game? I want to go. That's what it's meant to be like. It's meant to be, I don't want to miss Sunday. I don't know what's going to happen. Man, I can't wait to get, I'm going to be there early. That's what it's meant to be like. I can't wait is what it's meant to be like. Don't you want a vision for that? Don't you want to be part of that? Well, if you do, let him do it in you because you're infectious. Oh, my goodness. Look to the person next to you and say, I, I want your infection. Come on, let's be infectious. Sort of, uh, We've got to go here. One more thing. All right. Oh, my. It is cool. It is cool. You can be infectious and spread more than germs. You can spread the love of Jesus. 
And the, the, the Pharisees were the ones who looked like we did just then. Stern and, and, and you know, depressed. The, the, the others were going, wow, wow. The Pharisees would have had 15 months of courses on why you don't believe in healing. And Jesus said, why don't you just heal? And then they, we'll talk about why afterwards. God transforms through experience and then he renews our mind as we reflect on what it is we didn't understand, but it was pretty cool. I'm convinced of that. And honestly, I spent 15 years the other way around. It doesn't work. I'll never forget the first time I tried to do basic Christianity in Port Alberni. It's St. Auburn's church. And I had all these notes and it was all logical. It was all really good. And the guys were falling asleep. And I went, oh Lord. Not much has changed. Somebody's asleep at the back there right now. Okay. One more thing. And then we wind this up. because This is cool stuff though. The, the, the Pharisees were so terrified of everything. Are you frightened? I, I mean, I was. I'm less. No, some of you will be. I just want to comfort you. This is scary stuff. There's a part of it that's scary, because it's just like unknown, and I, in my emotions, and you know, we don't like our emotions showing, and and so it gets scary. And if it's scary for you, just say, Lord, it's scary. But you know what? It's, so was the first date. There are lots of things that are pretty cool. You guys know what I'm talking about. Eh? Yeah, I mean, when I was your age, I wouldn't even talk to girls. I was totally terrified of them. I mean, grief, there was some strange... I went to youth group for the girls, but I was terrified of the girls. And then I was set up one day. I was with a bunch of friends. They called themselves friends. This is true. And I was quite keen on one girl, but I was terrified. She was way too, you know, good for me. Um, I've changed a lot now, of course. She's not worthy of me. And... And they teased me. You know what they did? They set me up and said, she just lived around the corner. Her name was Judy. And uh, Judy was going to go home. Say, so, oh, John will walk you home. So John walked out totally awkwardly with Judy. Sweet thing. We get to the gate. And she says, John, I just um, think it would be better if we were just friends. That was terrible. I, I mean, it was awful. I've got a lot of healing required. <laughs> Memories. I don't know, where did we, why did we get to that? How did we get, get there? Anyway, that was Egypt. Definitely the Egypt. That was Egypt. Slavery, misery, terror, all the things. You know, God will use girls and boys to teach each other all kinds of things. Some of them are good. Um, so Jesus, Jesus, just swiftly going through this because I, I, I want to get to this part of the blessing and woes very, very quickly and I promise you it's very quickly, I think. Jesus has called his disciples. He went up the mountain. He called his disciples and, and they came, you know, all the, all the guys. And then on, on verse 17, he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there and a great number of people. This is from verse 17 of chapter 6 of Luke. And there were people, a number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coast of Tyre and Sidon. In other words, people were pretty curious about this guy and he'd hardly been around for maybe months, no, certainly not a year yet. And they were, and listen to this, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all.
What happens when you go into a smoke-filled room? Or you cough, you get cancer, you die. Uh, all right. Um, it's terrible. Don't go into smoke-filled rooms. Um, or you, you stand by a bonfire. What happens when you leave those places? Somebody says, where have you been? I smell smoke. You said you were going there. Why are you smelling the smoke? You, you, you take the fragrance on yourself, right? And that's what Jesus was doing. He'd been with the Father. And in the kingdom there's power. And so he steps into Egypt. And the power is flowing from him. Because where I come, sickness doesn't exist. And high-tech kingdom operates through human beings. Some of the most amazing... This is a picture from God right now for you. I'm going to presume, because I've never heard of it before either. Some of the most amazing technology comes wrapped in plastic. In other words, rather cheap exteriors. And the Spirit of God has chosen to be revealed on earth as in heaven through you and me and we're rather cheap I'm sorry to say plastic packages for the king of kings but if we will allow him power will flow from you and you will see the sick healed and you will be amazed and if you spend time in worship and you spend time with the king of kings you will see people going, what is it about you? I smell the love of the God, the Father. I sense something different. And you will go, if you, when you're learning this, you'll go, oh, no, 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 it's not me. And you'll draw attention to yourself. But once you get used to it, you'll go, oh God, it's wonderful. It's so cool that you actually use me. And you'll begin to go, Lord, I just want to be used by you. And he'll say, you know what? I'm going to highlight my glory in you. But something happens when I do that. When I highlight my glory in you in the kingdom, I also highlight how weak you are. I highlight Egypt in you. I highlight the fallenness in you. Not the, not the, not the negative. I just highlight your weakness. You'll know it. So in your weakness, I will be strong. In your brokenness, I will set captives free. They will smell the smoke of the kingdom around you. And you will see the power of God released in lives if you want to. You think I'm making this up when it's just moving Listen to what he says. I bet you you've never read this like this before. And we, we are closing, but you know, when you, this is very, very important. You remember Jesus stood up and he makes a speech and he says, Blessed are you uh, who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as, ever, as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. 
for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. What's he saying? He's describing Egypt and he's describing the promised land. He's not saying, if you follow me, you'll be miserable. If you're hungry, you'll be miserable. It means means you're following me if you're sitting on a pole starving. He's not saying that at all. He's saying, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be satisfied. Who weep now when men hate you. What's he saying? He's saying, blessed are you when Egypt doesn't cut it for you anymore. And so as you live with the awareness of your frailty in Egypt, you weep and you say, oh God, I need more. He says, you'll be blessed. You're getting it. And when you hunger, and you, it's not about physical food. He says, Lord, there's nothing in Egypt that satisfies me anymore. I'm tired of the rat race. I'm tired of trying. I don't have it in me. And he says, blessed are you because you're beginning to smell the smoke of the kingdom. He says, rejoice because I'll actually meet you right there. And then he goes on and he says to the ones who, he says, what does he say? Woe to you who are rich because you have received your comfort. Read that. Woe to you who are well fed now for you will go hungry. If you just take the tangible Egypt as the evidence of your worth and your fulfillment, that's it. He said, if that satisfies you, you're the most needy person in the room. It's totally different. Let's stand. It's totally different. And all we're going to do to ask the Lord right now is to give us eyes to see Egypt and eyes to see the promised land in our own lives. And you tell him what you want. Father, I just ask your Holy Spirit to make this real in every person here right now. In some way. In some way. The Lord's showing us some of the core issues of our lives where we're looking for answers. And he says, seek first the kingdom and everything else will come to you. So I guess one of the ways to do it is to say, Lord, show me where Egypt has me, where I'm still in slavery. And he doesn't do it to to condemn you. Just anything that raises a tension in you. Egypt is about control. It's about abuse. It's about insecurity. It's about slavery. It's about power. It's about cruelty. All the negatives, all the dark things come out of Egypt. And wherever you have that kind of hold on you, just tell Jesus and say, Jesus, I just ask you to set me free from that. And he's, I mean, you asking him so that you can express something. He's already saying, yes, of course, I'm longing for that. I'm longing for that. Just lay it before him. It doesn't need to take long. You don't have to convince him. He just says, just give it to me. Just hand over the stuff that keeps you slavery and maybe other people slaves through you. And then receive from him the freedom. That he is your life. He is your rock. He is your fortress. Tell him you want to be a smoke-filled Christian, full of the fragrance of Jesus. Lord, I want that to be real for me. I want to be someone who, when people are around me, they see you and they know you.
I want to be somebody when I come into the room there's power to bring about change. And I'm okay with my weakness. I'm okay that I'm imperfect. But I want to boast of you. The Lord wants to set some of us free from our circumstances right now. Like Paul in chains. We're slaves to our circumstances and we've been pleading with him to change our circumstances. And he cares about our circumstances. It's just not the place of freedom. So Father, I ask your Holy Spirit to breathe into us right now whatever our circumstances, your hope and your life that we will know an extraordinary peace and freedom in the midst of stuff that we hope and pray will be changed. And the only way God can bring about that change is by entering into a deeper love relationship with us as individuals. There's no other way. He just says, let me love you into change. And wherever the Lord Jesus went, there was healing. The Lord wants to set people free. There's some people here who've got pain in their bodies. Jesus, in your name, I speak to that pain and command it to loosen any body that is standing right now with pain. We command that pain to go in the name of Jesus right now. In the name of Jesus, we speak to pain. It comes out of the negative. It comes out of a place that is not of God. I speak to pain in the name of Jesus and command it to go. If you've got pain, receive it. Thank you, Jesus, that you take my pain. I renounce pain and I command it to leave my body in the name of Jesus. Get less than passive. Start stepping into stuff. And Lord, I'm just believing that you're going to teach me how to live out of a new place of authority. It's like we've been living um, under heavy clouds. Well, we have. And God is saying, there's sunshine. Just step into the promised land. It is right where you are. The kingdom of heaven is within you. It is real. It is real and it's for now. That's why I'm belaboring it. And the, the... The Lord wants us to know that His reality is as tangible as the negative that we have learned to live with. That His goodness and His kindness and His power is stronger than the negativity that we have learned to accept and endure. So the way you get free is you start saying to that negativity, you're a chain and I don't have to be linked to you forever. So in the name of Jesus, I'm going to rise up and I'm going to walk into the freedom that he has for me. And you start tagging on that chain and it'll, it'll break. You'll go, my word, I didn't realize that. And Jesus just says, I do. I melt mountains and I set captives free. Your biggest enemy is what's going on in your head even as I speak. Because this is for you. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will release the reality of these words into our lives day by day. That we will speak up the truths of these words in our relationships one-on-one. We'll encourage each other. 
because we're on a journey together into life and victory. So look up and look toward the empty cross. Look toward those chains. That's where Jesus is taking you, to freedom. But you're living from heaven to earth. He's already set you free and he's teaching you how to enter into what he's given you. You never have to ask him for freedom again. What you're asking him for is how do I live it? How do I receive it? And we need one another to help us with that. So thank him as we, as we finish. We're going to sing a song shouting from the rooftops, I am free. But as we enter into that worship, shouting from the rooftops, begin to receive what God has already given you. Begin to receive what God has already given you. Begin to see the view of hope for your life. Begin to say to him, Lord, I'm stepping into what I've always wanted, but I always wanted you to do it so I didn't have to do anything. And he's going to say, I always lead you into places, and if you go with your eyes, your natural eyes, you'll never get there because you'll just see discouragement. So receive the hope.